welcome to Healthy Not Hungry, the bite-sized podcast all about redefining what healthy actually means. I'm your host, nutritionist and personal trainer, Rachel Doss. Here's what's on today's podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Healthy Not Hungry. I'm your host, Rach. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, I've got a really exciting episode and I can't wait to share it with you. So I'm actually interviewing Fiona Rogerson. So she is a perinatal and trauma counselor and also a mum herself to three beautiful kids. So thank you for joining us today, Fiona. How are you going? Super excited to be here. Yay, that's what we want. Um, So my first question for you is tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Sure. Where to begin? So as you said, I'm a perinatal and trauma counsellor. Within that, I support men and women throughout Australia, um, primarily in the space of birth trauma healing, uh, but also in any perinatal-related challenges, um, as well as any trauma-related challenges. So might be outside of the birth space so working with childhood trauma ptsd uh, complex trauma as well Um, i also work as a childbirth educator so that's generally focused on birth after trauma so working to support men and women to be able to to birth again after a traumatic experience Um, also a clinical supervisor of other therapists and a mum of three so i've got a teenager a preteen and uh, a younger one. So life is very busy. Yeah, no, you certainly have your hands full. That's very cool. How do you find with like age gaps parenting? Do you find that it's easier to have the gap or sometimes it's harder to try and juggle it all, I guess? Yeah, good question. I think it depends on the age that they're at. So at the moment we have a teen and we have a five-year age gap between the eldest and the second. So that's a really big gap in terms of, socially and with their interests Um, but that has been felt like a smaller gap earlier on but now that they're getting older the gap seems to be widening other than the years yeah yeah Yeah. for sure no it's always cool Mm. to hear because like I'm a twin but I have older brothers who are six years and nine years older and I love it but yeah it's you know you hear so many different family dynamics it's always cool to learn a little bit more about each one Absolutely. My youngest two are only two years apart. So love-hate relationship, 99% of the time it's love, but the hate runs deep. <laughs> it's there. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's like big levels on both ends. Yeah, absolutely. So my next question is, what got you into counselling in the first place? And then more so particularly in the perinatal space, was it based off your own experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Really good question. So before I became a counsellor, I actually worked still in the birth space, um, but as a photographer. So I was a birth photographer and I was a newborn photographer. So I did that for for a good 10 years. I had my own studio and it was amazing. Um, It was the conversations that I had with mothers as they were having their photos taken in pregnancy and then post-birth that really showed me that there was a gap in the education space in terms of a lot of women were quite happy to go with the flow but then I would see them post-birth and it would just be falling apart for them Um, so there was that that kind of got me questioning which area do I want to work in and from there it kind of moved towards the childbirth education space Um, but on a personal level we had been through in our journey to have the three kids, we had been through multiple losses, we'd been through IVF, 
we had been through breastfeeding struggles, secondary infertility, we'd been through a lot. Uh, so by the time the third did come to us and we'd had our third, the cracks were definitely beginning to appear for me. So it was my journey through seeing a counsellor myself that kind of helped me to put all the pieces together that I want to be able to do this for other people because it was life-changing. Uh, so from there, I went back to university for the second time and, and did my second bachelor degree and became a counsellor. Wow. Kind of, yeah, yeah. It was kind of wanting what I had, wanting to be able to do it for other people as well. Oh, for sure. And it's such a it's such a really vulnerable space, I think, going through any of that journey. Like, and even from where you said with, you know, fertility struggles and losses and then to go through pregnancy and labor and newborn life. And there's there's so many facets and so many journeys and it can be so hard and really isolating. And even like I know for myself, there really wasn't the type of support like that out there like it you know if you searched for it you could find it but it wasn't openly just there to be able to like okay maybe I need this I can take this so it's really cool completely agree yeah yeah I found it really hard to to find the help that I needed in terms of somebody who specifically knew about birth so I didn't have to go and explain myself when I was talking about procedures and what had happened um, and what I was experiencing so having someone who was kind of the inside already it was just a huge help yeah of course I can imagine that's an absolute godsend especially um you know like um postpartum depression right now is such a huge topic that's finally kind of getting a light shed on it and the baby blues but I only knew about it because I had a girlfriend who went through it so luckily for me when I did hit the baby blues I knew what it was but in her case she had no idea and she thought something was wrong with her and it was really heartbreaking mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I see that a lot with, with women in terms of not understanding what's happening to them. And I think we normalise a lot as well in terms of what's just a normal part of motherhood when it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah, of course. I guess too we're coming from generations where things weren't really spoken about and, you know, it was anything to do with childbirth and hormones and even periods was like secret school business like you know, mothers kept a lot to themselves and they went through a lot of trauma alone and held all this burden. And it's like society is changing and saying, no, actually, you don't need to hold all this by yourself. Yeah. Yep. So true. Um, But, you know, what makes it hard, I think, for our generation is that it was modelled to us to stay quiet, to stay silent. But now we have all of this knowledge and we, we want to make it different from our children. So we're kind of wearing the burden or carrying the burden from the generation before us, yeah. but also carrying the burden of how do we make this different for, oh, for who's sure. coming next. It's the same as any kind of mental health really, isn't it? Like look at males and also the shame around showing your emotions and how you're feeling. And males these days are the same thing. They're carrying the burden and yet they're trying to make changes for yeah, young males growing up. Yeah, it's it's a hard place to be. Yeah, it is. And um, yeah, I think all we can do is try our best to look after ourselves through it. And then, like you said, provide for the generations below us so that they don't experience this burden or shame or guilt that we have carried and many generations before us have too. 100%. Yeah. Crazy. You could talk about it all day, couldn't you? Like it's, Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So my next question for you is, do you have a why? And if so, what is it? My why? That's a really good question. 
Um, I think it just goes back to everything that got me here in the first place. I know that it just took me a long time to be able to acknowledge what was happening for me. Um, it took me a long time to be able to find the help that I needed yeah. after my third was born. Um, and that even then was, you know, eight or nine months after he was born because I couldn't, I couldn't acknowledge what was going on. It didn't make sense in terms of I wasn't, what I had understood postnatal depression to look like. I wasn't crying. I wasn't sad. I wasn't, I was still running a successful business. Um, I wasn't ticking all of the boxes for what I understood postnatal depression to be. So for me doing this now, the reason I want to do is I want, I guess two, two things. I want to change it for the future so that, you know, a lot of our advocates, advocacy work that we do within my practice really aligns with changing things up yep. uh, and working with the people that are on the medical side of the fence in this space. Um, but the other part of my why is just to give the support that I never had, Yeah, the options that I never had. Of course. And, you know, like you said, it took you to, what, nine months postpartum with your third? Nine years. Nine years. No, nine months. Nine years after my eldest, sorry, to realise that what I was feeling was attributed to her birth. Goodness me. That was See, a that's, very long time. That's a very, very long time to carry that. So mm. I think that's fantastic that you can use, you know, your experience as a why to help others go through it. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, very special. Um, definitely, I think if, yeah, more people could use something like an experience to help others imagine what the world would be like hey like yeah. no one would suffer alone so that'd be really cool but maybe one yeah. day I'm one hopeful. Day. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm very hopeful so for everyone listening can you please explain a little more about the perinatal period for women and why this can be such a roller coaster but also why it's so important that they have support during this time yeah absolutely so I think, you know, when we're talking about the perinatal period, we're kind of talking about the whole the whole range, the whole span of time between deciding I want to have the child um, or even not making that decision, but it happening anyway, right through to having your postpartum, which is, you know, years after birth. Yeah. So we're not talking about, you know, the direct pregnancy to a couple of months after. We're talking about the whole span of, of motherhood, really. Yeah. Um and it's such a roller coaster. I think, you know, we have our ideas of what's more common knowledge in terms of why it's a roller coaster. That's because it's physically trying on the body. We've got our hormones changing. We are changing and transitioning our roles, you know, from being individuals to being parents. So I think we, we know a lot of that. But I think the other reason that we don't often touch on is the attachment wounds within ourselves that become re-triggered when we become parents. Yep. So, you know, we do a really great job of, you know, after childhood, we can shape our lives. We can choose the job we want to work in. We can surround ourselves with the people that make us feel safe. We can really have control over ourselves yep. up until we decide to have a child. And that's when we kind of hit vulnerability again. So the next time after being a child ourselves, we hit vulnerability when we become parents where we can't control every situation where we're reliant on our caregivers in birth so so many of those attachment wounds become re-triggered for a lot of mothers 
Yeah. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's something that we don't talk about enough in terms of why it's such a roller coaster because we're going through all of the physical and emotional changes, but also we're being taken back to what's hurt us before. Yeah, I've never really heard it explained like that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, But it's so true. Like when you were saying that, it made me reflect a bit and I'm just like, I can relate to this. Like it was such a vulnerable point. And I think even so, like just being very real here, it's definitely been like a, what am I trying to say, a contributing factor to me deciding to not further have more kids because Mm -hmm. I, being through that vulnerable phase, to be honest, I don't think I can go through it again. And I've, you know, I'm very content with where I'm at and I've made peace with it and I've spoken to my psychologists a lot about it, but it did take me a while to realize that maybe that was where that came from. Mm, Yeah. I think um, if more women had the understanding that birth is not, it's not about the events that take place. It's not about what happens necessarily in that period of of time, but it, it has deeper roots into what we've experienced before. So even when I work with a lot of mothers through birth trauma, we don't necessarily stay contained within thinking about birth. We think about where did all of this seed from? Why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's um, it's a lot of work to uncover and it's crazy too because, you know, you enter parenthood thinking that you're ready, like you've hit this maturity in your life and you're ready to bring a life into the world and nurture them and love them. And I'm sure mentally you are, except we're not prepared for the vulnerability that and the wounds that it's going to open up at the same time. Like absolutely. no one can prepare you for that. Yeah, absolutely. When you've got a little person in front of you who you can see yourself in and you can feel what they're feeling, it can really change the way you parent or the way you behave if you're behaving from a place of your own wounding. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, wow. It's um so much to consider, isn't it? Like it's yeah. Yeah, it makes your mind just juggle when you're in it. Um absolutely. Yeah. Um, so because of that, like because of the wounds it can open up, do you think that that is why it's so crucial for support during this time? Or would you say that there's other factors in this too that maybe someone who is becoming a new mum or, you know, has someone in their life who is maybe they can kind of try and understand this a little bit better. Yeah, I think that's why it it it's just so crucial to not wait. Yeah, when support is needed, there's no medal in waiting. There is no reward for just seeing how it plays out. All it does in terms of waiting to access support is it wastes time. Right, yeah. it wastes time when you can get much needed healing. It wastes time of interactions that you want and you wished you had with your children or your partner. Um, but yeah, all of those things make it so crucial for women to have support just accessible for them as soon as they need it. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, can I just deviate a minute and ask a question? What implications do you think this has on like the child and maybe if there's other children and the partner involved, if a mum is in a real crisis and struggling and they're not getting the support, you know, does this affect the baby's health or settling or how does this yeah, it absolutely can do it absolutely can do it's that intergener- intergenerational trauma that can be passed down yeah. um but it's also you know if a mum is behaving or feeling or thinking from a place of fight or flight or freeze because her nervous system is activated all of the time then that is going to have implications for the people around her 
it's yeah. going to cause people to be able to or children to to change the way they interact in order to be able to children need to keep parents close right they need to keep parents in close proximity so they change their behaviors and they change what they're doing in order to appease yeah. right in order to keep that parent close so if we have a a mother who is constantly angry and, and raging at home the child will potentially learn okay I can't speak up I've got to stay quiet I've got to learn to please her right and it might not be the fault of that mother there's a lot going on we know it might be trauma attachment wounds but it can absolutely have an impact on the people around her so we need to really normalize just getting help as soon as it's needed yeah of course I like my personal opinion on this and you know definitely give us yours is I really think that when you're a new parent, you're not at fault. Like as in, if you're someone who genuinely loves your child and you're trying to do best by them, when you're struggling, like I I think that that's something that probably needs to get taken away is this blame and fault when someone is responding completely out of their control. Mm. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of things to be to be thinking about with that um, in terms of what is in our control and what's not in our control. Yeah. Uh, I think the body responds very well to the perception of threat and that perception of threat could be a lack of control in a situation. So, for example, if we're talking about mum rage, it's often because there is a, a sense or a, a belief about having a lack of control or a sense of powerlessness in that specific moment, like feeling trapped. Yeah. Um, so the body does respond. It responds how it's going to respond to that threat. Um, but saying that, there's always something that can be done. Yeah, There's sure. always something that can be done. So I think there is a sense of responsibility for, for all of us. If we're having an impact on the people around us, then we need to be looking at what can we do about it. Oh, of course. And I think that mm-hmm. that's, that's like part of parenthood, isn't it? It's taking responsibility to be able to look at yourself and do better where and when you need to do better. Like it's, I think it's for every single parent, like there's always areas that sometimes life gets busy or something happens and we slack on and it could be a really crucial area. And we're like, okay, you know what? I need to make an effort to do better with this. And mm-hmm. I think that's what makes a great parent is someone who's open enough to see that and be like, okay, I need help and I'm willing to get help. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, it's, um, yeah, it's one of those things. I think if we can normalize talking about it more, it can be so much easier to access and ask for help and also accept that maybe it's something that you need. Yeah, for sure. That's a really hard one that I think can be, you know, to go by is accepting, okay, actually I do need help and I can't do this by myself. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Yeah. So my next question for you is what are afterbirth emotions and can you explain it a little bit further for us? Yeah, absolutely. So there are so many emotions that can, can take place after birth um, and they generally come from you know, we can, we can look at emotions as communication. So they're a communication tool that will alert our body that things are okay or they're not okay or something needs to change. So we can look at the fight or flight response and we can look at the freeze response as well with this. So fight might result in emotions such as uh, anger and rage and frustration, 
and flight might be fear or panic, even freeze. We can have the the disconnect or the numbness that goes with that or the the exhaustion as an emotion, feeling deflated. Uh, so if we look at emotions after birth as a form of communication, we can see that sometimes they're telling us that we're in a state of flight, flight or freeze. It can help us to figure out what do I need in that moment in order to be able to regulate my body back up to safety again. And often we're in fight, flight or freeze, not necessarily because of the event that's taking place in front of us, but because of prior events. So in the, the case of birth trauma, if a mother has gone through fight, flight or freeze through her birth, that can continue into postpartum and into motherhood as well. Those same triggers can be there. Wow. Uh, it's good to know because it's, yeah, it's something that once again, I don't think enough people really know. Like we might know a basic little understanding, but to understand a little bit more about it. Can I ask with freeze, would you say, like, I know a lot of mums, I mean, I went through it myself. Once they have had a baby, the intimacy factor, sometimes they just don't want any kind of intimacy. And I know for myself, I, I felt like when Holly was going through like cluster feeding phases, the last thing I wanted was anyone touching me. Even for someone to like rub my shoulder, I was like, I just need to not be touched. Like that was a big one that I went through. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's really common for a lot of women to go through a period where they feel that intimacy is is a problem for them in terms of not wanting it, feeling threatened by it, feeling that they just want to reject it or their partner as well um so that can absolutely come into the, the the disconnect can come into the free state but also the the fight or flight can come into to that as well in terms of feeling trapped and feeling like I want to escape when someone's coming at me to touch me it can be that as well yeah no that makes sense yeah it's good to yeah it's good to kind of identify it because I know that's something I see in like I'm part of like a local mums group on Facebook and it's a constant thing that women are bringing up. They're saying, is there something wrong with me? I just, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling I want to be intimate. And I have to say the group is very supportive. Like there's some really beautiful women on there who are so encouraging and really give them that, like, I guess that encouragement and validation that they're needing from that moment. But I find that that's a really common thing that I see anyway, is women feeling horrible because they don't feel like they want to function as they maybe normally would absolutely and there's so many factors that go go with that there's definitely hormones um you know physical discomfort the the views that you have of your body with that as well post-birth there's so many different things that can come into it but it's you know it's really important to acknowledge that we can't want to be intimate unless we're feeling 100 percent safe yeah right? and so it doesn't necessarily mean that your partner's making you feel unsafe but there might be things that are happening that are triggering for you to yeah. make you feel unsafe um, in that moment. So it might not be directly related to your partner, but it might be previous experiences, for example, in birth of feeling powerless, right? Yeah. So a lot of women come out of birth feeling like I had no power or I felt helpless or I wasn't in control. So being able to be vulnerable in intimacy can bring about that same feeling of I don't have control here, I have to be vulnerable, I have to let my my guard down. So that can feel really triggering for some women. So, yeah, there's just lots that can go into it. So it really is worth unpacking because, again, it doesn't have to remain that way. 
and there is so much that can be done. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think, yeah, anything, nothing is ever too big of a problem that it can't be solved, right? Like I think if, I mean, yeah, like if you can talk with someone who specializes in this and break it down and hopefully get to the bottom of it and be able to recover from where you're at, like I think that's really encouraging because I I know myself, like I've had moments where you're like, oh, is this it now? Like I'm, I've gone through this phase and I know my mum like was like this, like after having four kids, she'd, and I know a lot of her generation are really similar where like their pelvic floor maybe didn't go back. And my mum's thing with it was, okay, I'm just not going to jump around and run. Like Mm -hmm. that's okay. I've hit that point. And with her, she was, she'd accepted that. But I know when I had my daughter, cause I was only 23 and I, I really struggled. My pelvic floor was absolutely shattered. And I was like, you know what? I'm like jumping and peeing myself at 23 is not what I envisioned. And I'm not going to stick with this. And I had to work really hard at it. But I also being in like the industry that I'm in, I knew that I had options that I could move forward and not just accept what is. And I think that that's the same with anything postpartum, right? Like we don't have to just accept something as a change. Absolutely. More often than not, there is so much that can be done. Yeah. And even just opening it up and whether you may not a hundred percent have it back to how it was, you know, like everything changes. So we can't expect things to go back to the way they were, but there's no reason why we can't create something new and beautiful that satisfies us and serves us. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So for anyone supporting someone through this phase, what should we keep in mind and how can we best support and help them? I guess it's the acknowledgement that everybody's needs are going to be different in this space, in this time, and we won't always understand their story. I think most of the time women will share 5% of what's happening for them with the outside world and they will carry the rest as a burden that they, they weather by themselves. So just being aware of that, also being aware of we don't always know how women are perceiving their experience. So, for example, a birth might look wonderful on the surface, but it might feel completely different to the woman who's experienced it. So I guess when we're looking at how do we support people, a really good question that I know I recommend a lot of my couples use with each other when they're trying to support each other is asking the question, do you need help or do you need to be heard? because people sometimes just need to be validated and acknowledged. They don't necessarily need you to do anything. Yeah. That's a really great answer. I really like that. And I think that really we can use that with any interaction with someone else, can't we? Like anyone in your life, no matter what phase they're going through, if we're wanting to support them rather than trying to do things that we assume they need or want, just Mm -hmm. simply asking, can we help or do you need to be heard? That's that's absolutely. Really- yeah, I think it's really good for women to also learn how to use that in expressing what they need to others. Yeah. So I don't need you to help me right now. I just need you to hear me. Can be really important in communicating with partners, with with friends. Um, or I need you to help me. I need some solutions here. I don't want you to just listen. Help me figure this out. Like both are so valuable. Like I know myself like with friendships that I have sometimes they haven't even done anything except listen to me and be able to like give me a bit of sympathy or their opinion and that's helped more than a solution and 
I think, yeah, you know, they say it takes a village, not just to raise kids, but also to support each other through it. So yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And that village is going to look different for each person as well. In terms of some people have a village of family, some people have a village of friends and some people have a village of paid professionals and it's all the same. It is, it is. I think as long as you feel supported by people, then that's important. So random question, but for someone who is going through this and they don't feel like they necessarily have a village, like there's, I, I see it all the time. There's so many women who are very, very isolated and maybe they don't have family around or they feel like they lost touch with making friends. Where is there any kind of resources of where they can start to try and look at how they can build that village for themselves? Absolutely. I think it's just acknowledging or expanding the definition of what a village is. We have this idea in our head that it has to be these lifelong friendships where people will drop everything at the drop of a hat to, yeah. to come and support you where it's, it doesn't have to look like that. So, you know, your village can be made up of, you know, this, the same person you see at the checkout in Coles once a week that you smile to and have a chat with. It can be made up of the pharmacist that you see when you go and get your scripts that you have a chat with there. It can be made from, you know, your GP or your chiropractor that you see regularly. It can be made from the people that you chat to online in the same groups, the way you support people in Facebook groups. Yeah. There's just really expanding and, and being able to identify that there are people around me. There are people that I communicate with and I can keep doing that while I'm trying to find the more permanent people to be a part of my village. No, that's really cool. Like I think you're right. Like there's people we connect with on a weekly, daily basis that sometimes we don't even think much of, but you're right. Any connection that we have regularly with someone really is part of our village and it's important that we can recognize that too yeah yeah and villages give and take doesn't necessarily mean that you're you know they're going to turn up your house with with a coffee but it might be that you are still providing a source of interaction for them as well yeah for sure um even like I guess new mums groups is a great way like I know that you're saying it doesn't have to be lifelong friends but maybe it's a good time to open up to someone who is in the same vulnerable position that you find yourself in absolutely mums groups swimming groups you know if you're taking a baby swimming um toy libraries are wonderful to be able to interact with the people there libraries rhyme time yeah all of those things yeah I remember when I first had my daughter I there was this local coffee shop and I would go there most mornings because I'd go for a walk because I would get her to sleep which meant that the day would be set up and I'd get a coffee and the lady who served me coffee became like my regular person to even just have a five minute chat to and it made the world of difference hey yeah absolutely yeah yeah I guess but funnily enough as much as she was a staple part until you just mentioned about how that could be a village I don't think I ever would have considered that Mm. that's really cool to open our minds up to these ideas and that there is more people surrounding us than maybe we think of at first thought yeah yeah and even if we don't have access like those are, are small points of connection that we can start to develop as well. Yeah, definitely. No, that's really cool. Um, So for someone who know, oh, sorry, in general, what are some great ways for everyone to prioritize and support their mental health? Because obviously the perinatal period is very important, but everyone at some point needs to support their mental health. Yeah, yeah. So I guess 
you know, three really important points here would be to learn more about your own needs. So yep. we can look at our emotions for that, like we've just talked about. What are my emotions trying to communicate to me about what I'm needing right now? Um, think about how we can express them, so how we can articulate them to others, uh, and how to set and uphold effective boundaries as well. So yep. if we have those spaces covered, we can kind of build on that to be able to support our physical and mental health as well. Yeah, for sure. No, they're great tips, and especially too, they're all very achievable which I think is important and accessible for anyone. And I think, don't get me wrong, I know there's other ways that people can support their mental health, but it's always great to hear ways that can relate to absolutely anyone. Absolutely. And, you know, you might look at these three points and decide from them that part of my needs is something else, is something I have to go and be doing all of the time. But I think in terms of how to prioritise ourselves is to start here, is to figure out what those needs are how do I express them to the people around me and how do I set boundaries so that they can be met as well? Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. It's very important. Thank you for sharing that. I yeah, really appreciate that little advice. Um, so for someone who knows they are struggling or if we know someone who is struggling, where is the best place to begin for help? Oh, good question. Um, so I guess for someone who is struggling, the best place to start is themselves is to first really acknowledge what is happening for you. So yep. really be able to look at yourself and say, I'm, I'm not doing well. I'm not doing okay and I need to do something about this. And then who to turn to would be, my recommendation would be to turn towards safety. So that's going to look different for, for different people. So to start with the person that you feel the safest with, right? That might be a partner, it might be a friend, it might be a GP, it might be, it could be anyone, but to to start with the person that feels the safest for you because yep. from there then together you can sort out a plan of what do we do next. Yeah. No, that's good advice. And for someone, like if we know someone who's struggling as a friend or family member or support or PR, is how do we bring it up with them? Like what's a good place to start would be to if, if you're planning a conversation around this or you're planning on approaching someone I would start with just sharing to with them what you're observing so without judgment without calling them out on anything it can be as simple as I notice that you're not eating well at the moment yeah I notice that you you've mentioned that you're struggling to sleep even when baby's sleeping. So it's starting with observing what's happening for them and bringing that to their attention. And from there it's do you need help or do you need to be heard? Yeah. No, yeah. that's a really cool plan of attack. Um, If we don't feel comfortable, like say it's someone you're not that close with and you maybe don't feel comfortable having that conversation, is there any other way that you would suggest we can try and support a little bit with help yeah it's, it's a it's a difficult one if you're not in in the circle with that person um it depends on what's going on for them if it's something that's affecting the people around them and their children it might be something that you need to to bring to their attention regardless maybe there's someone in a mutual circle that you can talk to um but it, it's really dependent on what's kind of going on for that person and how distant you are from them I think yeah yeah. I guess would like would it be worth if we can't 
like if we don't feel that we could say hey I've noticed like this mm-hmm. is it worth going up and just asking them how they're going is that yeah, absolutely I don't think that's, that's not a problem as for anyone yeah but yeah. Like, you're still giving them an opportunity for them to realize you care and you're here to listen if that is what they would like yeah absolutely I think that everybody appreciates people asking how are you doing oh for sure yeah it makes yeah. such a difference in a day so yeah yeah that's definitely an amazing way to do it. Yeah, I know I asked, I had a barista once and she just she just didn't look right. And I asked her, I was like, hey, are you okay? And she was like, honestly, no. And started like, she started crying and telling me everything. And I was like, do you need a hug? And she's like, actually, yeah, I'd really like a hug. And like, I didn't know this girl. I gave her a hug and I think we hugged for like five minutes. But I mean, it seemed like I never saw her again. So I wish I could say I knew how she was doing, but it seemed like even just offering that one gesture made a difference in her day. And I guess that as humans, sometimes we forget the immense power that we do have with such small actions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't take much. Yeah. People that you're around. Yeah, definitely. No, it's always good to know. Um, So if you had one tip on how we can be more informed about mental health when interacting with those around us, what would it be? Yeah, how we can be more informed. I guess just in interacting with people around you would be not to make assumptions about where anybody is at, yep. what's happening for them, but also what they need from you. Yep. No, that's yeah. true. I guess, yeah, we never know where people are at. And like you said, rather than saying, do you need help or do you need to be heard? Because once again, we could think that someone needs help with this or needs this, when in reality they don't. And mm. yeah, maybe we're creating more frustration or more problems than we are solving. So yeah yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. well thank you so much for jumping on today I've definitely learned a lot and I'm sure everyone else listening will feel the same it's been a really wonderful conversation so I really appreciate it but if people would like to know more or get in touch or have a little follow along how can they find you yeah they can jump on my website so that's www.fionarogerson.com.au I've also got a free download that's there at the moment. It's called How to Make Sense of Your Emotions After Birth. So that might be really helpful for some of your audience that are listening. Yeah, wonderful. You can also find me on Instagram, so fionarogerson.counselorperth as well. Oh, lovely. Thank you so much. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes too. So if anyone does want to get in touch or just have a little follow along, because sometimes it's not even necessarily that we need that support right now, but even just following on Instagram you know, you might post something that sparks something or if you are going through something, you might be like, that's right. This lady may be able to help me with something that I'm struggling with. And sometimes it's just having the options in the background. I find like I'll do that if there's someone who is very interesting and maybe I don't need their help right now, but I'll follow them. And just even to learn things, like you can always learn so much from people, but I find that it's really like yeah there will be a time where maybe I need help or maybe I know someone who says hey Rach I am really struggling with this do you know anyone in this space because I think when you're in any kind of health space you always get asked okay I know you don't do this but do you know someone who does so it's It's almost like yeah it's like having a business card in your back pocket I think yeah definitely Yeah, yeah it's really cool I went to a networking thing the other night actually and no one handed out business cards, but everyone followed each other on Instagram. So I think it's yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. 
Um, but yeah, I'm always on Instagram, always available for a chat and lots of information being posted almost daily there as well. Wonderful. And by the sounds of things, a really great free handout. So definitely yes. check it out. But once again, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and your knowledge. No problem. It was a pleasure. Well, that's all we have time for today, but thank you so much for tuning in. For more episodes, subscribe to the Healthy Not Hungry podcast on your local podcast streaming site or follow us on socials at healthy.inspiration. That's spelt with an R-A-C-H-I-O-N. Thank you again. We hope you have a great day. Stay healthy and happy and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.